How's everyone doing? Good. Good. Excellent. As you can see, I'm, I'm trying to low fall into being here. <laughs> Yesterday was not okay. It cracked 91. It is October. That is not acceptable. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us today. To recall, earlier this week, I was at a Presbyterian meeting um, of the Presbyterian Mid-America. We were down in Branson for a few days. It was great to catch up with the other churches there, hear what they're doing, hear companies the Presbytery. It was two days of business meeting, so that's always fun and exciting. But nothing major that really impacts us, just small changes to wording and quality fun stuff. One thing they did do that I thought we could bring back here was we had to take a Bible quiz when we were there. So I'm going to make some of you guys take it right now. Not all of it, but we had 18 questions we had to do, but let's give you a couple. How many brothers did Joseph have? Was it zero, seven, 11, or 12? Eleven. What do you think? Eleven, yeah. This one actually tripped up a lot of people because it's like, oh, there's 12 brothers. Joseph was the 12th brother, so there's 11. Good, good call. <laughs> Um, which king did God stir up to allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple? Was it Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Cyrus of Persia, Artaxerxes of Persia, or Sennacherib of Assyria? Nebuchadnezzar. Who was Cyrus. We have Nebuchadnezzar, we have Cyrus. What else? What else? Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. Any other questions? Any, any other guesses? It was Cyrus. Good job. Um, all right. Last one. At what age were the Levites required to retire from active service at the tent of meeting? 40, 50, 60, or 70? 40, 40, 50, 40. 40. The other ones and the other ones? It's 50. <laughs> Good job, everyone. How'd you do on Chris? I missed one. Yeah. The one I missed was how many times did the Lord cry out to um, Samuel? I thought it was three, but it was four. It was close. <laughs> All right. So today we are continuing our journey through the book of Matthew. Um, thus far, since we've jumped back into it, Jesus started in his hometown. He got the news his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed. He left, went across the river, trying to have a time of mourning and reflection. Didn't really work out so well because the crowds found him there. So he spent that entire day teaching, doing miracles, during which, at the end of the day, he has to feed everyone. So we have the miracle of the loaves and the fishes happens there. Afterwards, Jesus dismisses everyone, goes into the mountains, has some time to pray. While he's doing that, the disciples are crossing the river in the boat, struggling against the storm. After Jesus is done praying, he comes down, walks across the water, catches up to them. We have the whole scene with walking in the water, Peter sinking, all of that. Jesus calms the storm. They eventually get to port. There, they have an encounter with the teachers of religious law. Anna talked about that yesterday. Some kind of pedantic arguing about, are you actually following rules? Are you not? All of that. So, we will pick up from there. Jesus went to the, to the regions of Tyre and Sidon. Canaanite woman whose, whose territories had came from those territories came out and shouted, Show me mercy, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. But he didn't respond to her at all. His disciples came and urged him, Send her away. She keeps shouting after us. Jesus replied, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, is it not good to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs? She said, yes, Lord, but even
the dogs eat crumbs that fall from their master's table? Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. It will be as you wish. And right there, her daughter was healed. Now, this is a potentially difficult passage for us to understand. Jesus comes off as kind of a jerk in this passage. Like, if you just read that at face value, you're like, whoa, Jesus, did did you just call that lady a dog? Like, it's a difficult passage. And scholars have wrestled a lot with it. And they've come up with some possible renderings for maybe what's going on, none of which we can say for sure, because it's just not in the text. But possible renderings are Jesus is trying to teach a lesson to the disciples, trying to use this case as an example of what faith looks like. And if you recall previously, they talked about Peter having so little faith, is Jesus using this to highlight great faith in this woman? You know, did the woman change Jesus' mind? This is one that there is, this is a hot-button discussion, there's a lot of debate on. Did she change Jesus' mind? The idea of going only first to the lost sheep and then expanding out to, to the Gentiles. Was it this woman that changed Jesus' mind? We don't know. So all of that, I know this is kind of a cop-out, this is a difficult passage. We have no idea the exact best way to render this. So I'm going to kind of focus on the woman in the story, and you'll see hopefully a little bit of why I think this is one of the few stories that Jesus is part of, that he's not the main character. I think the woman's the main character of this story. So let's kind of read this and watch it through her lens, through her, through her eyes. We're starting at the beginning here. We're told Jesus is up in the regions of Tyre and Sidon. These are regions of the north. They are, tend to be paired together a lot in the Old Testament. They're mentioned together quite a bit. And they have kind of a strange relations with the south, which is where Jesus was kind of coming up from. This area at this time, at the New Testament time, was kind of a, a cultural and economic epicenter of the area. A lot of trade went through there, meaning there was a lot of money there. So the Roman Empire kind of tended to kind of favor this area. One kind of historic example that got recorded was when there was kind of a famine in the land, food that would normally kind of get distributed down to the southern parts, the northern parts were allowed to just buy for essentially pennies of what the southern people would pay. So there's recording that they were able to literally buy the food, pay Rome to take the food off of the Israelites' table. So there's some contentious relations here. This is not an area that the southern sections like a lot. To add to that, we're told the woman is a Canaanite woman. Now, who are the Canaanites? Well, Canaanites were the people that when Aaron and the people of Israel came in, Joshua, they displaced. They were the people that were in the land before Israel came back in. So that creates another issue of headbutting. There was very few times when those two people groups went into all-out war, but there was tensions throughout the entirety of our Old Testament stories and pressing on into now. There's two groups that do not really like each other. They each see each other as the interloper in their own land. So this woman is kind of cast as the ultimate outsider right now. Told she's from a region that the southern people don't like, and she's from a people group that the southern region does not like. But I want to highlight one more thing here, what she says, how she addresses David, or how she addresses Jesus, son of David. And you hear this a decent amount, more in the Old Testament really than the New. But I think she's doing something very clever here. David, 
King David of Israel, had an amazing friendship with a king of Tyre, King Crown. We have, we have documentation of them doing lots of trading, lots of economic growth back and forth. These were friends. They were great allies. So by her just kind of addressing, opening this conversation with son of David, she's kind of reminding Jesus and the people around, hey, these people groups weren't always enemies. They used to be friends. They used to be great allies, even. So I'm just going to open with that, drop that out, and now let's continue from there. So we're kind of just setting the scene for who this woman is and the scene that she is trying to lay out before Jesus. So she addresses Jesus. Nope, no, no. Now she addresses Jesus. Said, go back up there. Okay. Show, show me mercy, son of David. My daughter is suffering from demon possession. Jesus doesn't answer. Jesus ignores her. Why? Again, this is a frustrating passage. It doesn't say why. Jesus just ignores her. The disciples do not ignore her. The disciples say she should be sent away. Send her away. She keeps shouting after us. She keeps coming. Now, just think about it from a like stage production standpoint. You can maybe understand what disciples are thinking. They have this woman who is shouting after them, chasing after them, a woman who they don't like, from regions they don't like, coming after them, coming after them. And the response is in line with what Jesus told them in chapter 10. If you recall, back in chapter 10, Jesus, that's when Jesus sends out the disciples and tells them, don't go to, to the outside nations. Stay to the children of Israel. So the reaction it kind of fits with what Jesus said, with what they're told. But Jesus responds. Um, said her way, and Jesus replies, I've been sent only to the lost sheep, the people of Israel. Again, kind of fitting in line with what was previously said in, ch in chapter 10. I'm, I'm always curious with this, who is Jesus talking to? Is Jesus responding directly to the disciples here? Or is Jesus addressing the woman? It's not said. And I think that could kind of shift slightly how things are taken. But whatever it is, Jesus responds, I, I, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm not doing this. She is not part of the children of Israel. That is not who I have been sent to. Saying I have come to Israel, and then later we will go to all the nations. But not yet. How does the woman respond? Kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. Now, this act, this section here, this woman creates two really kind of powerful allegories or analogies. This first one, what is she doing? She's tangibly kneeling at the feet of Jesus. She is actually putting her problems, her requests, her prayers at the feet of Jesus. How many songs do we sing? How often do we think about that in our prayers? We say, you know, kneel before Jesus, bring your offerings to Jesus, bring your prayers, bring your to the feet of Jesus. She is one of the very few people who physically actually did that. She is physically kneeling before the feet of God, bringing 
her issues, bringing her wants, her needs to God. And I just love that, that just depiction right there, something we don't often think about, something we say a lot, we think about it more in this kind of metaphorical idea of, yes, you know, come humble to Jesus, bring yourself. She, she's actually doing it. She was actually doing it. Not the disciples, her. And then we have this discussion of, Jesus says, well, it's not good to take children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Her reply, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. What other scene comes to mind? Of Jesus eating bread with people at a table. The Last Supper. She's hinting at this idea and doesn't even realize it. She's talking about the coming bread of life. And in a way, she gets this bread first. The bread of life is alive in her right now. Arguably more so than some of the disciples right now. She has no problem with faith. She is talking about communion, the Eucharist, the Last Supper, and doesn't even realize it yet. And I just love that response. I love that she is so desperate to be with Jesus. She said, I will take the crumbs that fall from the table, the crumbs of the bread of life more than she needs. And her answer apparently hits Jesus too. Because look how he responds. Woman, you have great faith. Compare this to just what, 30 verses ago? Where Jesus kind of chastises Peter for having little faith? After Peter saw him walk on the water? After Peter saw a miracle right in front of him? Peter loses faith. And Jesus says this woman has great faith. She's seen nothing. She just has faith. And really, isn't this kind of our goal, what we all want to hear? You have great faith. It will be just as you wish. That's kind of our ultimate goal, right? To hear Jesus say, you have great faith. That's what we should all be working for. That should be our goal. I just love that Jesus goes to a land, goes to an area that not expecting to do miracles and not expecting to teach, not expecting to find faith and finds amazing faith. These are the people that aren't ready to receive the message, right? It's Israel first, then everyone else. This people group's not ready yet, but they have this amazing faith that's what's found there. Jesus found faith in the most unlikely of places. How often do we assume things about people? We assume someone can't have that kind of faith because of this or that, because of how they look, because of whatever it is. That, that person can't be ready for a spiritual conversation. They're, they're nowhere near that yet. How often do we make those assumptions about people? Some of the most amazing spiritual conversations I've ever had. I've been with people I never would have guessed 
the emotional space, the headspace, the spiritual space to have those conversations. And just a quick example. Uh, I have a friend, I went to, we started school together in sixth grade. Our joke was we, we had the same English class from sixth grade through our freshman year of college. We took the same English class in our freshman year of college just to keep that trend going because it was so funny. And through that time, we had a number of discussions about faith. She knew I was Christian. I knew she was staunch atheist. And these conversations generally didn't go that well. They were pretty combative. She was shutting things down, kind of mockery, all this. So again, eventually I just said, like, this is not going to happen. Was just not talk about it, move forward, be friends in other aspects. Absolutely no problem. We get to our freshman year of college. She, she calls me. It's like, hey, I just gave my life to Jesus. Where did this come from? What? But her combativeness, the way she talked, that was her way of working through it. That was her way of wrestling, of trying to get answers. But to me, it just looked like someone being a jerk. And we're just like, okay, that's not what's happening. Because I made that assumption. Now, this isn't saying if someone's being combative, badging them about it constantly. Like, that, that's not the idea. That's what I'm talking about. But it's just the assumption that I made. And how often do we do this? How often do we limit God by assuming something about something? By saying, well, that person's not ready for this. Oh, I'm, I'm, we do that a lot to ourselves too. I'm not ready to have this conversation. I don't know enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not whatever it is. We make assumptions about ourselves. Every time we do that, we're just limiting God. Whether we subconsciously realize it or not, we're kind of thinking, well, God's not powerful enough to work in that situation. We, we need more time for that to stew. That's not ready yet. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Assume God can do great and mighty works. Now, look at this passage briefly entirely through the lens of this unnamed woman. What does her faith look like? Well, first thing she does is she recklessly pursues Jesus. She is shouting at Jesus. She's not Jesus. Please do this. She's Jesus. She's chasing him, shouting to the annoyance of the disciples. Do you ever have that person that just kind of clings around you and just won't leave you alone? That's what she is doing. Can we say we pursue Jesus like that? I would call it the greatest honor ever if I could honestly say I would pursue Jesus so recklessly, so passionately, I would annoy the disciples. I think that's one of the biggest compliments you can think of, is having them be like, this guy again? Why is he always here? So that's the first thing she does. She recklessly pursues Jesus. The next thing is, she has absolutely no question that Jesus can do what she wants, that Jesus is powerful enough to heal her daughter. Can we say that? Can we honestly say that? We think, well, oh yeah, God can do anything. But in the moment, what do we think? Well, how, how am I going to fix this? How, what, what route can I do? 
We turn away from God. We, tr we turn to, how can I fix this? We try to do things in our own strength. Or we turn to God as a last-ditch effort. She has no hesitation that Jesus can do this. And I like her words here. She doesn't straight out ask Jesus to do this. She just says, my daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. She kind of just throws the ball in his court. And I think that's really a baller move to do, just to be like, hey, Jesus, my daughter's sick. Like, you can do something about that? Like, I think that is such a cool way to do this. That really puts Jesus in the spot of what faith, because it's not only faith that Jesus can do it, but faith that Jesus will do it. That's amazing to me. And the last thing she does is she comes humble. She knows herself. She knows she can't do anything to earn this miracle, to earn this favor, to warrant Jesus loving her. She can't do anything to earn that. She knows it has to entirely come from the goodness, the grace, the love of Jesus. There's nothing she can do. Nothing at all. So, if we wanted to have the faith of this unnamed Canaanite woman, what would that look like? Recklessly pursuing Jesus. not even the smallest doubt of Jesus' power, and Jesus' willingness to use that power. Third, knowing that anything we get is out of love. Because we can't earn it. Nothing that we get from Jesus comes because we're good. Because we've done this, because we've done that. It is all mercy. So we talk about, you know, pillars of faith. You know, who, who are these crowning pillars of faith in the Bible? This lady is never talked about, and honestly, I think she should be. Because can you think of someone who has this kind of faith? Who has this level of faith? So that's our challenge this week. Can we take steps take movements to getting faith like this? Can we work toward getting faith like the unnamed Canaanite woman? That's our goal. That's our task. It's worth doing it together. Join me as we pray.